Hello, and welcome to Spiritual Alchemy with Erica, your host. <sighs> How are you guys today? I am so excited for today's episode, Harnessing Your Vision. This is something that I need to work on too. Literally, I'm going to be doing this with you guys. First of all, welcome to my little corner in the woods. Today is beautiful. It's sunny and there's a gorgeous big blue sky. And I live near kind of like a reserve, I guess. It's sort of a big field and we get a lot of wildlife and there's so many beautiful birds, you guys. Anyway, I'm not trying to gloat. If you're in a cold and gray situation today, this is actually a perfect time to do a little visualization. See what I did there for vision? So if it's safe to do so, take a minute, take a nice deep breath in, exhale out, and imagine yourself wherever it is that you love to be. Is it tropical on a white sandy beach with that gorgeous blue clear, warm water lapping at your toes, or are you in the mountains, maybe someplace gorgeous around a log cabin and the sun is shining and there's a brook or a river by you, whatever it is, take yourself there now and let's dive into this gorgeous, wonderful show on harnessing our vision. So we're going to talk about what vision is and why it's important. So I never really thought that much about vision. I mean, of course, I had, you know, daydreams and desires like we all do and unrest, frustration and circumstances, right? So then obviously I could see what I wanted to be different. So all of those things, those desires and those daydreams and those pieces of unrest, those are like fragments of vision, basically. And I really, really strongly believe now that creating and having a vision plan, you know, a clear vision for ourselves is really important. So, you know, whether you're in circumstances that you wish to change because you're in pain or uncomfortable or because we simply want more for our lives, right? So let's talk a little more about what vision is. So the dictionary says it is the faculty or state of being able to see the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. Okay. For me, what stands out in the last sentence is plan. It's being able to take those pieces and those fragments and put them into action, right? So by creating steps that actually move us forward and through where we are now to where we want to be. That's my definition of vision. So why is vision or having a vision plan harnessing our vision, right? Why is it important? Vision provides us the motivation and the inspiration that we need. It inspires us to keep on going, whether we're, you know, getting through a difficult time or whether we're forging ahead to accomplish a goal. There's a saying um, that I have always loved. In fact, I had a greeting card that I found and I sent it to someone, but I held on to it for a really long time first because I liked it so much. It's by Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. 
okay, if you're going through hell, keep going by Winston Churchill. So vision helps us to do that. When we're clear on what we want and we can create a flexible plan to support this goal, it helps to keep us focused. Also, vision is tied to hope, right? So hoping that glimmer of light at the end of a sometimes long and dark, arduous tunnel, vision allows us, allows us to hang on, right? It allows us to take steps we need to get through that tunnel. Or as I said, if things are going well to manifest our goals and our wildest dreams, is it, you know, your Ferrari dream or your log cabin or your lottery, whatever it is for you. And also when things are going well, obviously, it's so much easier to do anything, right? Whether it's create a vision plan or start a meditation practice or lose weight or whatever it could be, when things are going well, vision helps us to create a pathway of steps to manifesting our dreams. And when things are going well, you know, it's easier to do that with excitement and imagination. So we can use vision boards and those are so fun to make. I know I've talked about creating a vision board in one of our um, other episodes where you can literally go into magazines or on the internet and research everything that you want on your vision board. So if it's traveling or um, having a horse or a new home, whatever it is, it's your dream, right? Sky's the limit. You put together, you get a poster board or a big sheet of paper, depending on how big you want it to be. And you just start putting pictures together and then you can put words and sayings and things that inspire you. So that's one really fun way. Um, and we'll talk more about how to actually create a vision plan. Um, but what about when things are not feeling good, right? When we're out of sorts, we're sad, we're angry, or my favorite and personal familiarity, you know, feeling stuck, frustrated and stuck. What I like to call the hamster wheel of insanity. We just go round and around and around. You feel like you're treading water, but you're not getting anywhere. So vision helps us create the baby steps that we need to move us forward one bit, one minute at a time. Sometimes, you know, we've heard one day at a time, but sometimes I know for myself, it is one minute at a time because it's just hard when our mind seems foggy, you know, full of the tumbleweeds that our thoughts and fears sort of compile together. That's what it is. It's, it's, we get all those what ifs and we get that monkey mind and that chatter and it creates this huge tumbleweed for lack of a better way to say it. And it's in our mind and it, and it fogs things up. We can't see beyond it. We can't see through it. We can't see past it. So vision helps us create a solid yet flexible pathway like a willow tree, right? Roots are firmly planted in the ground yet the willow is flexible enough to bend with the winds of change so we don't break. And here's a quote on that note. The oak fought the wind and was broken. The willow bent when it must and survived. That is by Robert Jordan. So when we're in the thick of it, in the mire of some of these feelings, it can seem like a catch-22, right? So being able to create a vision plan when we're foggy, when we're in that moment, and we don't know how to move. And what do we do when we don't know how to move? I know myself, I have hid behind I don't know 
I don't know how for a long time. And we just sit. And I feel like sometimes we get paralyzed with fear and the, I don't know. Um, so we sit and meanwhile, our frustrations grow and oftentimes our circumstances can get worse because we're ignoring them. So what happens? The universe, she gently knocks on our door and we ignore her. And she knocks a little harder and we turn up the TV and then she bangs on our door and we put headphones on. And then she breaks the damn door down because we didn't know how to move. So we did it. Does it sound familiar? Literally, it is a, oh, it's a chapter that I feel like I've repeated many times in my life. So here's the thing that trips us up. We make the mistake of focusing on how, how we're going to get from A to B. Okay, if we knew how, we probably wouldn't be in our current circumstances, right? Hello, there's that catch 22. So this is what we need to do. We need to shift our focus from how to what. From how to what. We need to let go of the cursed and dreaded hows, as Mike Dooley, the author of Playing the Matrix, would say. I adore him and I love, love Playing the Matrix, his program. We have to let go of the dreaded hows. And instead, we let the whats help us. Let me explain. So we just said that vision is important, right? Because it gets us through difficult times. And vision also helps us create the life we want. They're, they're sort of different focuses, but the result is the same. It's accomplishment. We need to get from A to B. So we break it down like this. What do I want? Identify where you are right now. Identify where you want to be. What does that look like? Again, whether this is to get you through a tough time or to manifest the life you want, the process is much the same. We get out of that quicksand of how am I going to do it? We start to panic. We get confused because we don't know how. So we relanguage it instead of how focus on what, what you want your picture to look like and what would that feel like? As if it's already happened. And that's so important, you guys. Feelings are stronger than thoughts. Remember that. First, you have a thought. Then you create the feelings behind that thought. Why? Because when you really feel something in your bones, it's an actual palpable vibration. Literally. You can feel your body buzz when you get excited. Yes? When you get super excited about something, you're going to get a new car. And you got that, you know what it smells like, that great feeling like you're sitting on the leather seats and you can smell that new car smell and you can see the texture of the metallic paint and you can hear the, you know, it's an eight V8 engine roar. And, and all of a sudden from the sights and the surroundings and the sounds and the textures and the smells, you get excited. You feel a buzz that is called scripting. Scripting is really important when we get into creating our vision plan. We need to get excited behind the thoughts and create feelings for the things that we want. And it, it, it does take a lot of energy to do this, but this is the process. And believe me, that strong vibration, that, that buzz, you can test this theory. Go ahead, 
script a vision of something you want. It can be health. It can be money. It can be a love in your life. It can be a new job. It can be a house. I don't care what it is. Pick it. Script it. Take five minutes. Sit in that chair and fully script it. Feel it. Smell it. Get into the minute details and you will physically feel a buzz. Okay. That buzz is an actual energetic vibration. The universe picks up that buzz and uses it to give you those circumstances right back to you like a big mirror. That is the law of attraction in a nutshell. So let me take a step back because I just went over something big. We're talking about vision. We're talking about getting you from point A to point B and not being stuck in how you're going to do it, but in what it looks like and what it feels like. So the universe is going to meet us where we are. We get what we give. So if we want to create an experience or a new circumstance, we got to identify where we are now, what that looks like, and where you want to be and what that looks like. And then you start visualizing the end result as if it's already happened and what that feels like. That's your pretend. That's your scripting. And you stay out of how it will come about. Just have fun being there. But we got to stay out of the house because we limit ourselves. If we knew what we were doing, well, again, we might not be listening to this podcast and we'd already be where we want to be. We have limited thinking. But the universe thinks pretty big. The universe's dreams for our highest good are so much bigger and more divine than we could ever imagine. So it sounds weird, but stay out of the house. They're none of your business. Do your part. You change your world when you change your mind. Okay. And now I am going to talk to you about our incredible guest. His name is Brian Dickinson. He is the author of the incredible book, Blind Descent. He is a former Air Navy rescue swimmer, motivational speaker, and this is a man of great vision. So I want to give you a little backstory. Um, His book is called Blind Descent because Brian shares his harrowing journey of climbing Mount Everest. Um, About a thousand feet before he gets to the peak of the summit, his climbing partner or Sherpa becomes ill and he has to quit. So they have a discussion and he has to make that decision. Is he going to do this summit alone? I think maybe one or two other people ever has done that. It's very, very dangerous, but by yourself, forget it. But he decides he's going to do it because if he quits at that point, he may never get another opportunity to do it. So he decides to continue and he makes it. He's up there. He's taking pictures. He's relishing that moment. And And just after completing this miraculous feat of getting to the very top alone, accomplishing this great vision that he has had for himself for many years, minutes before he has to begin his descent back down the mountain, he becomes blind, snowblind, okay? 
usually when you become snow blind, it's like a 24 hour temporary thing. But for him, I believe it ended up taking about a month and a half. He had to descend down the mountain blind. What is it? 27 and change, 29,000 feet. I have no words to articulate what that must have felt like. And I have so many questions about vision and how Brian harnessed his vision. So please let's give him a very, very warm and receptive welcome. Brian, do I have you with us? You bet. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so beyond honored and excited to have you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. We talk a lot about reinventing ourselves and creating better pathways to, you know, making our lives more the experiences that we want to have. And today we're talking about vision and how to harness what is vision and how do we harness this to get us where we want to go. And I cannot think of a more divine guest to have on the show. So thank you so, so much. Of course. You're welcome. Um, Where are you, by the way? You're not in California, are you? I'm on the West Coast. I'm up 25 miles east of Seattle in the town of Snoqualmie. Sweet. Oh, it must be beautiful there. Yep. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I miss the mountains a lot. I used to spend a lot of time um, in Telluride and uh, Colorado. And man, it's just so beautiful. Incredible, incredible. I miss the mountains a lot. I love the beach, but it's a totally different experience. Yeah, it's tough. It's always that contrast. You know, what do you love more? Why can't we have both? Well, that's what I'm thinking, Brian, right? Hence, harnessing our vision. Everybody should have a beach house and a log cabin on a river, as well Mm -hmm. as their regular dwelling. And why not? Right. Yeah. So listen, I read your book and am stunned. Um, I kept stopping and taking notes and my mind, like most people who know me and call me a hummingbird, (laughs) just goes off in so many different directions. I know you've been asked a lot of the same, same questions, and I'm sure I will do the same. However, I want to know how you tick. I want to know, you know, very early in your book, you say that when you were a kid, you were just wired differently, and you knew that you were just wired differently from a really early age. And you kind of talk about having goals and just always sort of driving yourself pretty hard, I think. Can you elaborate on that a little bit when you say like wired differently? Yeah, I guess, you know, we are who we are. So it's not until we have like some comparison, you know, other people or, you know, have some conversations and, you know, realize like not everyone's doing what we're doing and that's okay because we're all unique all created differently. Yeah. Um, but you know, I grew up in the eighties for the most part, you know, my, my, you know, grade school, middle school years, high school. So not a lot of technology back then. So not the distractions and social media, all the, the cred that we have, you know, cluttering our world today. So yes. I'm so fortunate for that. You know, it's just, it's the world we knew. And, um, I lived in, you know, Southern Oregon. So mountainous region, lots of, you know, rivers, just, just a, a great place to grow up and just, you know, with the surrounding adventure. And 
play outside. Yeah, my parents were definitely in the mindset of, you know, it didn't matter what the weather was. It was just get outside, go (laughs) get outside and do something. So I did a lot of that. And a lot of time was just by myself, you know, just a small town and had friends, but, you know, not everyone's always available. So lived way up on a mountain and I just, you know, I created obstacle courses and was climbing mountains, you know, nothing to the extent of what I've, you know, done later in life. It's still, it planted that seed and, you know, I had the opportunity to go to college, you know, directly out of high school, but I decided to join the Navy, you know, before going to college. And I didn't want to just have like a normal job. I wanted to do something, you know, that kind of fit my lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, a little more extreme. And I spent six years in the Navy as a, a rescue swimmer. So I used to jump out of helicopters and, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> all that stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you made me feel very glad to have a girl when you were describing some of the things that you put your parents through with your scabbed face and your extreme <laughs> snow and skateboarding sports. And oh my gosh. Yeah. And then your naval training and in some of the ways that you described, good Lord, honestly, what you were put through in your training to weed out is actually how you put it, um, where they would have to weed out those who were able to really adapt the survival mindset. That's what really was mind blowing to me is not just the physicality, but obviously the tenacity and whatever that is that gets you through and, and, and not quit. That's the stuff that just really it interests me a lot. I, I feel like I, as a kid for me growing up, I didn't have a lot of goals. I didn't have a lot of, I mean, we played outside and we were kind of beach kids, but this is all just super fascinating to me. In chapter six, I think you say that you recall being deployed and that it was faith, focus and planning and dreaming that got you through like a whole That's exactly what we're talking about here is actually putting it all together and making it Mm -hmm. work for you. I feel like when you're climbing, you're almost always on the edge of killing yourself, right? (laughs) Like every moment. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's perspective and I get called, you know, everyone's brave behind a keyboard on social media and I give, you know, lots of large talks and, when you put yourself out there, you know, everyone has an opinion. And it, it's it, it's interesting because when you're, I guess, not close to a certain problem, like mountaineering, it does seem scary. It seems like you're putting your life on the line. And there are definitely risks, you know, but they're calculated. We have a right. choice to, you know, I have a choice to climb that day or not. And, you know, I try to make decent choices. Um, but, you know, like anything, there's probably things that people call you crazy for doing. You know, we mm-hmm. all have something, but it's sure. because they just don't know. So when you actually train and you have the experience and you're closer to that, whatever crazy is, it becomes, you know, more attainable. And I think that's just, it's so important to not, I don't know, attack others because they're different or they have different interests. Right. You know, because they, we have expertise in so many different areas of life that, you know, it's just not fair. And it's, it's just, I don't know. um, No, I I hear what you're saying. Everybody's different. And it's, uh, it's our differences and our uniqueness. And I, I firmly believe that every single 
being on this planet is born with certain gifts and certain skills. And that one of our purposes is to figure out what those are, how we can shine them up and use them to not only be an expression of God, but to serve other people with them, right? And inspire. In fact, one of the things that you say is that you love when you're teaching someone to climb, you love that when you can see that they're having a moment, right? That moment, that sort of aha moment, that amazing moment, how, how excited you get. And that's exactly the same feeling I feel when I'm maybe helping someone put together a vision plan that helps them get from point A to point B, and then they're not suffering anymore. It's literally a totally different circumstance, but it's that same feeling, you know, when you're inspiring somebody. I think it's amazing what you do. And I I, I know now looking at all my questions, <laughs> I'm just going to throw them out the window because <laughs> we should just let this conversation go where it needs to go. I have, you know... So many different things. One of the things you did say right now is that when you're climbing, right, a person who knows nothing about it is just going to look at it and go, oh, my God, you know, that's great. You spend so much time training and prepping. And that was another thing that really was uh such an eye opener for me is why it takes two months to even climb mm-hmm. for Mount Everest. Um because you have you have to climb up, but then you have to climb back down to get that whole acclim- acclimatize. And I was thinking, oh, I would never have the patience for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough because, well, even backing up when you talked about like Navy Rescue Swimmer School, which is ironic because you're a lifeguard, right? Oh, you played one on TV. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the big like difference. The, we're like the lifeguards for the, the world, the Navy. Right. Um, the real deal. Right. But it's, it's interesting because even in the military, the training is, it's super difficult, you know, a high attrition rate mountains are the same. Not everyone makes a summit and you know, mm-hmm. summit is definitely optional. It's kind of a goal, but getting home safe is the real important thing. But that patience and that mental focus is way tougher, whether it's a military, you know, a lot of things in life, but you know, specifically in mountaineering, it's so easy to just, you know, turn around and go back down mm-hmm. physically, you're eventually you're going to get there. Same in the military. Physically, your body will respond. You'll get stronger and be able to accomplish, you know, cool things. But mentally, if you're not there, I mean, that's, that's why the instructors try to break you down. That's why the mountain tries to break you down. You know, are you really in this? Are you going to turn around when things get crazy? Maybe, maybe you are, maybe it's just not a good fit for you. And maybe as far as you made it is the experience that you needed, you know, to, fulfill that vision in your life. Right. Or sometimes it can be a catalyst even. Mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't make the summit, but it opened another door for you. But you said something that I want to know, whether it be climbing or in the military, what do you, what do you tell yourself though? What does Brian Dickinson tell himself? Because you said, you know, sometimes you quit. And it made me think about whatever. It, it could be for anybody, a, a something really minute. I mean, no comparison to military training or mountain climbing, but in everyday life, right? Because all all of us aren't going to go climb Mount Everest, of course, or go into the military. But at the end of the day, we all have, like you said, different challenges to face. 
what makes you keep going, especially you, because your stuff is so extreme. How do you not quit, Brian? Like, what do you tell yourself? Is it a mantra? Is it conditioning? Yeah. yeah, And I, I think it is the version of me today versus the version of me as a kid. You know, it's, it's obviously it's changed because we grow and we have experiences so that reason would change throughout time. And there has been times when, you know, I did turn around, you know, and weather was bad. I've been on Denali up in Alaska three times and have not stood on top, snowboarded at once. You know, it's, there, there's just, there's reason to turn around. So sure. You now we want to be smart about that, but there's those times when it's just, I'm getting in my head and it's like, why am I doing this? You know, and I'll break it down to you. I'll just be totally raw here. Yes. Climbing mountains is really stupid. If you <laughs> think about it, it's a mountain. You're miserable at altitude, super miserable, life-threatening. You can get cerebral or pulmonary edema and die if you're not right. proper, properly acclimated. So when it's like taking five step, five seconds between each step, it is a slow process. You're wearing all this gear. I have a great family and life at home. That goes in my mind more than anything. Like, why am I here? This is so dumb. But, you know, I'm accomplishing a major goal and that's me. And I know that I will, I will not be the best version of me if I turn around and quit all the time. I would rather not die trying, but, you know, go as hard as I can until I reach a point where I need to be, you know, safe and turn around. And in most cases, I can make the top and get others to the top. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, it's, it's easier or anything. And I'm, I'm not in my own head. I mean, that's, that's the major demon that I have to keep pushing out. Yeah. And remember the reason I'm there, all the training and, you know, and then eventually if I make it to the top, great. Now I got to get back down. You seem really balanced because that's what I'm hearing. There's two things. And you made me remember something else in your book when you were just talking about right now about those it might be five steps that you can take, right? And however long that takes you and you're almost out of breath and you used to say, Emily, Jordan, Joanne, step. Your mm-hmm. family's names to keep the cadence, to keep you going. That was amazing and it speaks volumes to what you're focusing on. It, you're focused on your goal and you also said something amazing that I wish I had my pen and was taking notes and that is, I will not be the best version of myself if I quit. Not because it's not safe. Otherwise, that's the balance, right? If it wasn't Mm -hmm. safe, you're wise enough to say, I'm not going to kill myself over this. But if you can keep going, you use the things that are most important to you, your family, but also that I won't be the best version of myself if I quit. It makes a lot of, that's cool. Are you a Capricorn? (laughs) (laughs) Gemini. Okay. (laughs) I broke that as yesterday. Oh. Happy birthday. So many things I want to know. uh, And I don't want to jump too much all over the place, but I just have all these. I'm totally fine. You can go random. Good. Because I have all these great things you said. One of the things I'm a big believer in, you know, we tend to get really focused on our flaws, our self-imposed, let me say, flaws, right? The things that we think are wrong and things that need improvement. You said something in chapter five about climbing. And, you know, you usually have to move very quickly on to the next climb and very seldom soaking in the moment of success for the climb you just conquered. And that was sort of a metaphor for me because I thought this was poignant. I, I feel like in life, we we tend to do that too. We don't celebrate our victories. 
And we need to do that as much as the things we need to work on to be that sort of balanced, complete picture. And in thinking about who you are and that balance that you can achieve, I don't know. I just pulled that little nugget Mm -hmm. out of there because it made me think about that. I really liked what you said that not only for the obvious of enjoying the moment, but also that progress I think is so important when you do climb a mountain or even just make it to the next base camp or whatever it is to soak in that moment. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. a, when we hit those milestones, like to, you know, to normal people, like <laughs> it's not, not mountaineering. We can use metaphors all day, but you're right. Um, if we act uh, on our achievements, it's we could get in to almost a, a vicious cycle of accomplishments. Right. We just keep going and going and going and not soaking in the moment. And Jack, that's my dog, Jack, everybody. Who's, sorry. Um, and that you also said every obstacle you make it through is one more obstacle closer to being finished. And that was another thing I thought, okay, that would be, for me, I think a good affirmation to keep going, right? Again, what do you tell yourself? You had your cadence with your family, but that mm-hmm. also this obstacle means, okay, now I'm down one. You know, I got one less to go. Let me ask you something. This is because I'm super fascinated in life after death. And there's a couple things that I want to talk about that just are, are huge for me. How did you view death prior to, and you didn't just climb Mount Everest, you've climbed all of the seven tallest summits, right? I mean, you've... I speak on the seven continents. Right. Those are the ones. You've. Mm-hmm. It's not just Mount Everest. I mean, so you are, this is a part of you. So how did you view death? I, I guess, where do I ask you from what, because when you're a kid, obviously you don't really think about it and unless you're like me, a, a weirdo who's <laughs> always thought about it, but um, but in a healthy and just super curious way, has your view about death changed, I think, is what I'm trying to ask. After going through all of these things and probably coming pretty close to ending your life um, on a mountain at some point, have it has it changed? Or have you always had a healthy kind of view or? Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've had faith. I've been a Christian for, I guess, most of my life, but definitely my walk has grown in the mm-hmm. last you know, 20, 30 years. But I guess we could back up and, you know, fill the, fill the audience in on my story a little bit. Yes, please. How close I came to death and then we can, we can pick it up from there. So on May 15th, 2011, I, I actually soloed the summit of Mount Everest. So I guess I'm one of two people to ever like have the summit completely to myself, which wasn't the plan. I had a Sherpa friend. He ended up getting sick at about 28,000 feet. The summit's at 29,000. Um, so he was going to wait there, but ended up going back down to high camp. And I continued up, you know, after a conversation and, um, you know, everything seemed to be weighing in the way of continue up. Weather was good. I was strong. A song, my friend, you know, was good enough to get down. So went up, made the summit. And, you know, spent maybe an hour up there, took the highest selfie in the world, made a radio call, got a snack. And then you can't spend a lot of time up there. So started heading down and about, you know, five, 10 feet into it and everything went completely white and I went completely snow blind. Oh, my gosh. So what that is, it's, a, it's basically the sunburning of the cornea usually takes about 
24 hours to return. And I wouldn't regain my eyesight for, for about a month and a half. Wow. So you really uh, damaged your eyes. Yeah, it was really bad. And so I'm at the highest point in the world, completely alone and blind. And, you know, it should have taken me about three hours to get down to high camp at 26,000 feet. And it ended up taking me about seven. I took a major, couple major falls, ran out of oxygen, and just the whole time going down, just slowly using my senses other than my eyes. And I tried to use my eyes. It just didn't work. Um, I just, I never felt alone. I just felt this presence around me, just this peaceful presence. It's like if you and I were in a room and you closed your eyes, you'd know I'm there. You know, even if I didn't say anything, it's just mm-hmm. kind of this presence. I didn't overthink it. But at that point, when I ran out of oxygen at about that halfway point coming down, you know, I'd been about 33 hours continual, continuous climbing from the day prior to that point. Wow. It was completely wrecked. Um, usually if you run out of supplemental oxygen at that, you know, in the death zone on Everest, you're not going to survive. Right. And I, you know, I knew I probably wasn't going to make it, but I was going to do everything I could in my power to survive. And at that moment, I couldn't do it on my own anymore. And I just prayed. I just yeah. said, God, I cannot do this alone. Please help. And immediately just felt this overwhelming energy come over me. And I fumbled around with the regulator and found another oxygen bottle that I'd been carrying that had previously failed and twisted the regulator on and I got a positive flow. And I just remember that air reentering my body and just how it burned, just going through my veins. Wow. And I didn't overthink it. I just put my gear back together and rappelled down the last 20 or so pitches and you know, stumbled into high camp. And that's when Pasong just hugged me out of nowhere. I never saw him coming. Oh, my gosh. So you just tried again. You knew that bottle. You had tried it before. It was empty, but you're you're just ha- you're doing it again. You're so, trying it again. So I knew it was full. I was right. carrying an extra bottle, and it had previously failed when I okay. had to swap out early on. So for whatever reason, so I just put it back in and continued using my, my one that would be exhausted um, mm-hmm. shortly. But yeah, so you know, backing up to the question of life after death. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know on that day, on May 15th, 2011, my perspective of life after death, you know, I, as a Christian, you know, I know there's, you know, life after death with Jesus, but I've never had such a tangible experience before. Yeah. And to have that experience to just basically, if I had to close my eyes, I would still be up there. I'd be a permanent fixture on Everest. Yeah. You mentioned there's a moment after climbing for, you said 33 hours, you just close your eyes, just trying to get your thoughts and figure out your next move. And your eyes were so obviously tired. I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine that I really tried that if you would have closed your eyes, you knew it would have been just over. And it was in that moment. You're just like, no, get open your eyes. You talked about this in the book called the third man syndrome, this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer. There's a very good friend of mine who is a psychic medium, who is the real deal. She will blow your mind. She talks about the heavenly helpers. She calls them like a really, for lack of a better word to say it, a staff of angels that are always here. They're just always here. 
for all of us. And we can call upon them at any time. God, universe, spirit, you know, for all the listeners, this energy, whatever you're comfortable with calling it. But I, I completely, it's so hard to articulate, but you said tangible. And that's, that's a good way to articulate it. I feel like it's a palpable energy. It is peaceful. It is so comforting. And I know for me, that kind of translates into not being afraid. Now, I'm also not in a life and death situation right now or lying on my deathbed, thank God. But when I think about it, just knowing that this energy exists, I don't know. It just, it, it's a confidence. I think that's what it is. It's a security and a confidence that you end up having. So that even being a Christian and believing in life after death prior to once you're on the mountain and experiencing that, really that third man syndrome, the angels or God being right there with you. Has that given you more courage? In other words, has it changed the mountains you want to climb? In other words, I know you've climbed them all, but I'm also using that metaphorically. In other words, do you feel super confident that after having gone through everything that you've gone through that do you feel kind of invincible or do you still feel pretty practical about it all? No, definitely not. Um, yeah. I mean, I didn't know if I would climb. I didn't even know if I'd get my eyesight back and you know, come back and a month and a half later, it's, it's finally back. But I went through a lot of, and I still do PTSD mm-hmm. from that experience um, where it'll just hit me and you know, like strange times and um, just survivor's guilt. I mean, there's over 200 bodies on that mountain. It's like, why am I alive? But it, the main main thing that I needed to do, I didn't realize at the time, was actually get back in the mountains. That brought me peace. Later that year, I went down to Antarctica, climbed the highest peak down there, and just led a bunch of groups on like Mount Rainier and other local peaks around here. So it, it definitely did not make me invincible. Um, yeah. You know, we train for things that are with things outside of our control. And I think right. that really helps define us in a lot of defining moments. I think if anything, it's another perspective, another layer of perspective that I have, you know, to right. no one else gets in that scenario. I mean, in mine, it was, it was just kind of one of these weird fluke things. My goggles had cracked. I have bright blue eyes, so I'm more susceptible. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that sun banked off the ice, you know, there's only a third of the air, a third of the ozone protection up on the summit of Everest. You know, I was pretty much doomed. Yeah. Well, you just said it. Obviously, you're super trained and not just in mountain climbing, but especially with your naval training before you, the survival training. I mean, you are prepared, but just because you're prepared doesn't mean that Mother Nature doesn't have a different idea mm-hmm. about what's going to happen to that weather. You know, when you mention 70 to 100 mile an hour winds can come up in mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes. Um it, your plans can be your plans, but um, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be Mother Nature's plans. So right. that's where all that other stuff comes in, all your prep and all your... So it really is a big collaboration or cocktail or collage of all the stuff put together, you know, your faith, your... And that's back to you saying faith, focus, planning and dreaming, which is what creates that vision and that tenacity to really get you through it because you kind of need it all, you know, yeah. and, and maybe at different times of your climbs or, or situations you use different parts, but you really need the training and then that mental perseverance. With your PTSD, that 
So you said it took about a year for you. Did you go to therapy? Did you, I mean, what did you do? No. To work I mean, through my wife, it. My wife's a counselor. Ah. Um, but, you know, I don't go to her for counseling. Right, right. That would be, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it might be difficult. Yeah, but I mean, she's definitely a good support. Me, yeah, as far as just talking through things. So getting the tools and yeah, it's just time. It's it's weird though. Like I, I got LASIK a few years back and it basically blinds you, you know, for however long until it starts coming back. And that just, it put me right back there. I had no vision. I did not expect that. And just on the drive home, I was just like, Whoa. It, was, it was miserable. It was scary. Yeah. I can't imagine feeling more, especially you. Isn't that interesting? And see, this is the kind of stuff that makes my mind real to feel so helpless and so out of control for a man who's so conditioned and trained to get out of amazing situations, you know, horrible situations where the odds are totally stacked against you. And then to be kind of really rendered helpless, there's a big lesson there. Yeah. In humility. I, right. And, and I think a, a lot. So it's funny because I used to watch, I had, when I spent time in Colorado, a friend of a friend was Charlie Fowler, who was an ice climber. And I remember watching him taking people up and down the frozen falls and anchoring himself, you know, and teaching the other people how to climb. And I thought, gosh, that really seems like a gambler's game because it's sort of like, well, maybe this will be solid and maybe it won't. (laughs) So when I put my little axe pick in, I was always thinking, how do you prepare for something so unbelievably undependable? I don't know. It was just mind bending to me. You made your summit attempt, by the way, I think you said at 8 p.m. Yeah, you go all through the night. So Why? <laughs> I don't understand this, Brian. Here's a total layman going, what? Why do you climb at night when you must have so much? The visibility must be really difficult. Yeah, you have a headlamp, so you see a little bit in front of you. It's basically just one step in front of the other. So the reason that we climb highly glaciated peaks at night is because once the sun comes out, things become very unstable. That's where, you know, oh. spikes on your boots, like all your, your devices, they, they actually will work better in like bulletproof ice, just super hard ice. Sure. And then avalanches, everything else just, it, it gets really unstable. So the goal is to try to reach the summit when the sun is rising so that then you have gravity on your side and you can carefully get down a little bit quicker. That makes perfect sense. A hundred percent. The very thing I was saying, you know, while you're sitting there watching things melt, there you go. But mm-hmm. then what were the moving ice walls? <laughs> that just really, what the are they? Congru- yeah, it's the ice fall. So that's down lower. That's right out of base camp, but it's about a mile or so that it is building size blocks of ice called seracs. Seracs. Yeah, it's just continually falling and shifting. So that, yeah, that's a little sketchy. That's where you see all the aluminum ladders that you got across that are like tied together. Yes, that is very sketchy. (laughs) I was looking at the photos. And so for the listeners, when there's like a 5,000 mile crevasse, and of course I'm being a little sarcastic, but only a little, you know, uh, that you have to cross and you're literally like, well, we take the aluminum ladders and, you know, basically you're bunging them together and laying them across this thing and climbing on them. I'm thinking, oh, 
my gosh, are you kidding me right now? This, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's nuts. It's not for everyone. No, it's it's not for everyone, and it's not nuts. It's not for everyone. That's <laughs> the thing, right? That's well, what we were talking about. My my wife is definitely <laughs> scared of heights. We are. Like if you put a spreadsheet of us and our personalities, we are a hundred percent opposite, like on all categories. Yes. I think just makes our life so interesting because she's very supportive. You know, when I do talks, she'll sometimes, you know, be there for questions as well because everyone wants to know, how do you let him do this? You know, right. Through all this, but just an amazing person, very supportive. So let's talk about, and then we'll go into more of your wife, Joanne, right? Joanna. So Joanna, you made the goodbye, the goodbye video mm-hmm. sitting in your home um, days it. before you left. Right. So mm-hmm. obviously you're, how can you not? But I mean, it's very palpable. The thought of not coming home as being a reality, a, a, a possibility. And I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but this is one I can't not ask. I got to know how do you make a video like that? And was it like a four hour video? Because I, I'm a single mom. And I think if I was leaving and I had to give my child some parting words, especially the hummingbird that I am, I, I, I don't know how I would do that. So what, what was that without getting too personal? I mean, what was basically the idea behind this video? What kind, what would you leave your family with? Yeah. Well, it's, it's tough, right? Cause they're, my kids were, I think four and seven at yeah. that time. Yeah, it just, it seemed like the smart thing to do, you know, not expecting to die, but life happens. You know, I could, the, just the airplane ride into Lukla before you start, you know, in Nepal, before you start the trek in is the shortest air, you know, shortest runway in the world and most dangerous. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different levels of where things could go wrong. Gosh. Um, but yeah, it, it was tough. It, I, recorded and re-recorded and just kind of let it just play out because as soon as I'd say one word I would just just cry like yeah. you know that it, it just hurt sure. telling my daughter you know I'm sorry that I can't walk you down the aisle oh Brian um just trying to give like little sound bites of advice to you know my son and my wife and just just everything you know just try to pack it in and not make it crazy long. I mean, it's, it's relatively short because I cut right. it down. And they never saw this video. Is that right? Did your wife finally, did you ever show it to Joanna? Uh, just recently. So, really? Yeah. So I filmed, I was up in BC and filmed a, a reenactment for a, a video series coming out and they wanted to use part of it. And I'm like, well, my wife's never even seen it. Right. So it's actually going to be more public than I ever thought it would be. I don't know how much of it, but yeah, she, she watched it and it pretty much wrecked her day. Sure. Oh my gosh. Just, I mean, she's grateful that I'm here, but she could see just kind of where my state of mind was at, you know, grateful for that, grateful that she never had to watch it, you know, for the intended purpose. Right. Okay. It's so interesting talking to you about this because us layman's out here. This is so full. This is so, it's sort of a life unto itself, climbing Mount Everest and I'm sure other really huge mountains, but just all the prep and physical and mental. And like you said, flying there, landing. I mean, there are so many. And that's why I said it, it seems like you're literally on the edge of expiring (laughs) every moment of this trip because there are so many things and we don't want to focus on the things that 
can go wrong. I'm a big believer in, you know, you get more of what you focus on. You got to put your focus where you want it, but, but making yourself obviously aware of so you can be as prepared as possible. I just, and the trip is super expensive and two months. I mean, it's just a lot. It's interesting. These experiences that we choose for ourselves, right. In our lives, how much we evolve from them, I guess. Mm-hmm. This yeah, was a, yeah, this was a big one. I was going through, you know, your website and I love some of the talks and the things that you, that you give and that the, some of the things you have said, I, I wrote down, be still embrace the moment and reflect on the past. I really am a big believer too, in not dwelling, right? Mm-hmm. You use the past to teach you, but you don't let it define you. And you don't dwell on it. You know, the idea is to stay in the moment because it's really all we have. All mm. we have is this moment. We, we don't have tomorrow promised. You've continued to climb. Are there other things that you want to try? I mean, you've already jumped out of planes and climbing is a big part of you. It's kind of like your beating heart, it seems. But are there other things that interest you? Other challenges? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I love the adventure. Um, but what I what I don't do is I need to talk what I'm doing. So I I think if it's today, if it's tomorrow or, you know, 30 years from now, you know, whenever we do expire, you know, looking back and just having a, an empty resume is, you know, and a lot of money, you know, is, yeah. doesn't mean much to me. So I either live responsibly in the moment, but, you know, travel and have these adventures. My kids love winter marine their favorite thing each year just to go out up on a glacier or somewhere in the snow and just freeze and just you know cuddle and play games in a tent just the three of us joanna's not as much into that one but like my son jordan who's 13 has a impressive resume than most adults ever will like adventure and climbing and stuff so do they first of all do they want to climb do they look at what you've accomplished and do they ever express, well, I want to do that someday, Dad? Um, no, I think that goes back to Joanna and I being a once and me not being someone who's like super like pushy. I've, right. I create opportunities, but I want to make it a good experience. So I'll allow the kids to just tire and turn around, you know, okay, well, let's at least get around this next corner. And a lot of times that corner comes and then one more corner and, any goals and eventually we either make the top or not but you know jordan we've turned around on quite a few mountains but we've always had a good experience and, and that you know i feel like our kids come through us i mean they're not mm-hmm. extensions of us right i mean they are their right. they're definitely their own beings so i think it's great yeah. that you're exposing them to the opportunities but then letting them really tell you what feels good and what doesn't you know so they can take the best from mom and take the best from dad and become their own selves. Right. Yeah. I think that's important. You mentioned a TV series. What's, what's going on with you? What's, what's next for you in terms of what Um, your next adventure is? There's been an interest in in my blind descent story into a a full movie. So that could happen eventually. Yeah. For the most part, I'm just kind of long for the ride. Like it, have a decent life and enjoy the ride. What do you think? You know, we're, we're calling this episode harnessing vision. And, and basically what I'm talking about with the listeners is no matter what's happening with you, whether you're in a really difficult situation, 
And I know I'm speaking to some listeners who have COVID-19, you know, so they're Mm -hmm. facing some really scary health situations. And then there are people who things are copacetic. It's, it's good, but it's not my Ferrari dream or my Lamborghini dream or my whatever it is for you. And I'd like to have that and make that happen. So we talk about vision and having a vision plan and really why vision is so important because it gets you through the difficult time. And it also can become a pathway to the life that you want to create for yourself. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that that we could share with the listeners. Yeah, there's this is an opportunity to like what you said when we started is to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Because so I say we have a choice right now to either do nothing or to take a step back and reevaluate until you getting down from Everest blind and alone really came down to faith and focus. Mm-hmm. You know, faith, never giving up faith that I was going to make it, knowing that there's probably 99 point whatever percent chance I wouldn't, but never ever giving into that. And then focus. There's a million reasons to not go on. And you have to find that one reason to step forward. That's awesome, Brian. Yes. That one reason. That's it, isn't it? That faith. And, and for the listeners who, don't like to call it that, then I also like to say knowing, which for me, and that's what this is all about for me, is that I like to let everybody know, as far as I'm concerned, it is 100% the same thing. You can call it God. I call it God, spirit. But another listener might call it energy. The bottom line is it is a force greater than you, greater than I, that is there, 100% there. And if you know that and you hold on to that knowing you are not alone. And then, like you said, now you put in the focus, the work that you've done. And that one reason, right? So for you, you kept saying the, the names of your children and your wife um, was also part of your big focus. Um, that's it. It's faith and focus. And that would be a really good bumper sticker, by the way, <laughs> or T-shirt, faith and focus, right? That's good. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Yeah. This was so awesome. I could probably chat your head off for another three hours, but I really want my listeners to be able to find you and to know more about you and to listen to some of your talks and to buy your book, Blind Descent. Where should they go? My website is briandickinson.net. Okay. You can Google me or I'm on every flavor of social media. Perfect. BrianDickinson.net. You guys have to get his book, Blind Descent. It is absolutely riveting and you will not be able to put it down. In fact, I have to share with you. So I have your book two ways. I have it on Audible so that I could always have it on and listen, right? If actually holding a book wasn't convenient at the time. And then I brought the book and I went to go spend some time with my mom and stepdad and he picked up the book and then he did not put the book down literally for the whole weekend And I ended up leaving your book for him because I felt bad. I didn't want to pry it out of his hands. But you guys, the book is really, really good. So you need to get it. I wish you every, every, every success with every climb, both metaphorically and physically. And for you and your beautiful wife and your beautiful kids, I wish you all the best, Brian. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for talking with me. And I'm going to follow you and see what's going on with you. I'm going to look for that movie, too. That'll, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Thanks. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.
Oh my gosh, you guys, that was incredible. Um, to say the least, what an interesting life Brian is creating. Wow. And I guarantee you he has so many more fascinating stories. We should definitely have him back so he can just um, share some of those adventures with us. So for me, what really stands out from our interview is his determination not to quit. I mean, there's so many things that I could, you know, in so many directions I could go off on, but I feel like if we're sort of to summarize in terms of harnessing our vision, um, for me personally, I think it was his determination not to quit, um, his overall strategy of having faith and focus. And so knowing, you know, that knowing that we are being taken care of, that we are not alone, and then putting our feet behind the, you know, the prayers or that knowing, the focus. So faith and focus. And then I also really love that he said, if he doesn't keep going, that his life will not be as full as it could be. That's, I think that's actually my personal favorite thing that I got. Um, again, summarizing because there was so much good stuff, but yeah, I mean, cause if I know myself personally, I have let fear really dictate so many of my decisions, um, over my lifetime. Hopefully a lot more in the past than I do now because I'm really aware of it. But um, I've missed a lot of amazing, great opportunities because I let fear decide for me. I was too scared to try something or too afraid to look stupid or too, 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 whatever it is, you know. Um, so those were my favorite things. Don't quit faith and focus. And if we don't keep going, our lives will not be as full as they could be. I am wondering what you guys got out of it, what thoughts you might have. Um, please share with me what you think. Um, and if you have any questions, you know how to reach me, uh, realericaleniakblog.com, and let me know what you think. Um, all right. I want to close up with some steps to create our vision plan, right? So this would be a really great time to grab your journal or a paper and pen if you have not already. Um, and here we go. So your vision plan. First of all, write down your current circumstance. Number one, what the current circumstances are that you'd like to change. Okay, so you're identifying where you are now and what that looks like briefly. This does not need to be detailed. You're just going to identify here's where I am. This is what it is. Number two, write down what the circumstances or situation are is that you want to experience, right? Where you want to be, what that looks like. And this is where I really want you guys to get creative and really detailed, right? Using that scripting technique that we talked about. Um, every detail include the sights, the sounds, the textures, the smells, the colors, and feel it until you're buzzing it. 
And by the way, that technique scripting comes from a really wonderful master teacher um, of the law of attraction, Lynn Grabhorn. She is the author of a book called Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting. And if you are interested in another great book on the law of attraction, the way that that was a book for me that really simplified everything. And I, I could see things. And she also came up with the buzzing feeling. So I could see things the way that she described them with absolute ease. So I highly recommend her, Lynn Grabhorn. All right. So number one, we identified where we are, what that looks like. Number two, we are writing down in great detail where we want to be and what that looks like. Now, number three, I want you to think of two action steps that you can do taking towards the experience you want every day. It's two. And listen, I know when we hear action steps, we think, oh gosh, what does that mean? They can be, they can be small. They can be huge. They can be whatever you want them to be in the, and you can repeat them. Okay. This does not have to be difficult, but the point is that we need to keep going. So what do I mean? Okay. If it's health, your health isn't great right now. Your A over here, not so great health and your B over there, amazing health. And you've scripted yourself running on the beach, right? Hanging out with friends and laughing and dancing and feeling amazing. What all of all the details that that is for you. So what can you do to take those action steps? Well, with health under a doctor's care, of course, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to advise you to take up an exercise routine if it's not good for you. But can you walk today? You know, can you get more exercise than you're used to getting if it's safe to do so? Can you eat healthier? Can you drink more water? Each one of those would be an action towards your goal. Can you watch some great um, people that inspire you on the internet who are healthy? So, you know, the sky's the limit, you guys, if with this, honestly, if you want a new house, go on the internet and start looking at dream homes. Is there a particular neighborhood you've always wanted to live in? Look it up. Drive by it. Look up real estate companies just for the heck of it. So if we step outside of ourselves right now and witness what I'm talking about, we could pretend we're the universe's eyes here. What do we see? We see a person taking action. We see a person creating momentum, forward movement towards their goals, no matter what they're doing. I'll give you an example. One thing for me is to have a particular dream home in a particular dream area that I love. All right. Well, my daughter and I always go looking at real estate and properties we love and horses and we drive by beachfront homes, all the things that I personally love. But you know what else I'm doing when I get uh, things delivered, you know, Amazon deliveries or whatever. Sometimes I get this really cool foam that comes in the boxes that I love. It's not messy and it's really good for packing fragile things. I'm saving it. I'm putting it in my garage in a separate box because I'm going to use that foam when I move. I didn't say if I move. I said when I move, when we move, when we get to move to that dream home. I'm taking an action towards it. Okay, so take two action steps towards the experience that you want. Next, you stay out of the house. Remember, it's really important when you're doing these action steps and when you're writing number one, two, and three, 
I really want you to remember to stay out of the house because those specific details of the actual how it's coming about, that's the universe's job. Our job is to really just get, it sounds a little confusing, but it's not, right? I want you to get super detailed in what you want only to get you excited, only to get that buzz created. But what actually comes about, how it comes about, that's where we let go of the outcome. I don't want you to say, but I pictured it coming about this way and this thing isn't happening. No, just get excited about the details of your new home, your new healthy body, whatever it is, and let the universe bring it about. Okay. So let's recap real quick. Identify where you are now and what that looks like. Identify where you want to be and what that looks like in scripted, great, fun, imaginative detail. Then you take two action steps every day towards it. Now, and this is very important, I want you to thank the universe for this thing that you want as if it has already happened. Just trust me on this. I know when it, when I first started doing this, it felt weird or even fraudulent. You know, oh, please, God, bring me this. You know, we get used to praying that way. It's almost a begging sort of feeling or state of mind. No. I want you to say thank you, universe, for this incredible, healthy body. It feels amazing, and I am so grateful. That is another action step, guys, that the universe is going to give you exactly what it is you're putting out. Okay? So those are our steps. That's how we put together a an action plan. And as our awesome guest, Brian Dickinson said, have faith, be in the knowing and focus. So remember, just because we can't see it happening doesn't mean it's not happening. The universe is responding to you. You just can't see it yet. So stay in that. That's the knowing. That's the faith. So I want to close with a quote. Whatever you're feeling is what you're vibrating. And what you're vibrating is what you are attracting. That is by Lynn Grabhorn, the author of Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting. This was a long show, but it was so full and rich. And um, Please email me, guys. Tell me your thoughts on today's show and how your vision plan is coming along. Always remember, if there's anything that comes up that you would like me to talk about, let me know. RealericaAleniakBlog.com. Go to the About Me page and you will find the drop down to email me. Remember that you guys are very powerful. What follows your I am is important. Today, I am powerful. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode. And I cannot wait to bring you next week's show. Have a good one.